We are looking at the themes of Advent today. We're looking at peace. We've looked at hope. We've looked at love. Today, peace. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, using that chapter, the familiar story. Read along with me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Join me in prayer. Our precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for this accounting of the birth of our Savior. We thank you for our Savior, and we ask that you would open our minds and hearts now as we hear your word and consider their meaning to us, that we may apply them to our lives. Thank you for Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I don't know how it is when you read the Bible. As I read these things, uh, I see them and it says, and they got up from Nazareth and Galilee and went to Jerusalem. And of course, in our day, that'd be like getting up in the morning and driving to Lexington. It wasn't quite the same back then. And so I like to think about what they had to face. I like to be sure and put it into the context of the times. Nazareth, of course, was up near the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, down at the uh, bottom in the nation of Judah. It was about 100 miles as the crow flies, maybe 90, maybe 100. And so they had to make this trip. And of course, we know that Mary was in her third trimester. Uh, most of you ladies understand what that is and would probably groan if your man said, we need to take a trip. And by the way, we're going to have to walk. I might be able to get a donkey for you. And we'll find some place when we get there. Uh, but... Mary knew they needed to go. The thing is, they couldn't just go as the crow flies. They couldn't get on the major thoroughfare and drive down there. It was a walk. And to go directly to Bethlehem would take them through Samaria. And a good Jew did not go through Samaria. They were uh, enmity. They didn't get along very well. The Samaritans were considered half-breeds by the Jews and not pure Jewish people, and there was some merit to that, though they shouldn't have had that attitude because the northern kingdoms had been intermingled with the Assyrians whenever the Assyrians overtook them. So regardless, they wouldn't go that way. And that's a mountainous journey to make it even harder. So what they would do is they'd go a little bit west over to the Jordan River, and they would follow the valley down to uh, just across from Jerusalem, and then they'd make their way up to Bethlehem. Made the trip a little longer, but it made it safer, made a little better traveling. So it was a little more arduous than 
When we just read, they got up from Nazareth and went to Bethlehem. It was, it was a challenge. But of course, in those days, it, 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 it took the time. And I looked up Google Maps. Google Maps says an hour and a half to two hours to drive. It says 38 hours to walk. But that's walking straight on through at an average pace. And of course, they'd have had to go on slower. A scholar figures they traveled maybe 12 miles a day because they would have needed rest stops. They would have needed food, time to stop and eat. And of course, Mary could not go as quickly as, as she could were she not with child. So this scholar thinks it probably took them about a week to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Of course, when they got there, Everybody else that was of the tribe of Judah of that area was coming in and they got there trying to find a room, couldn't make reservations, and the inn was full. There was no place for them to stay. And sometimes uh, in plays or, or we may in our own mind think of the innkeeper as kind of not a nice guy sending them to the stable, when in reality he probably did them a favor because that inn would have been chock full of people. They'd have had them sleeping everywhere on the floor and uh, trying to get around. And if you can imagine when you were in your trimester, ladies, being in a room of strangers who had traveled all day, hadn't taken a shower, uh, no telling uh, just what they were like, not really a place you'd want to be at that time. So really the stable was probably a better place. It was quiet, it was peaceful, and if he was a good uh, caretaker of his animals, the hay was fresh and clean and would have been much softer than an old floor. So really, the innkeeper probably did them a service. Besides that, it placed Jesus in the center of his creation. The stables back then would have been a hewn-out cave or a, a natural cave with uh, uh, some kind of gate on the front. So it was Jesus was present there at creation. He had helped form all that. And then, of course, all around him were the animals, the animals he had created with his father uh, back at the beginning of time. So a very fitting place, actually, for Jesus to have been born. But it wasn't an easy trip. Let's go on and read our next section, starting at chapter, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Most of us grew up hearing in strips of cloth. That's what swaddling clothes were. And lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rest. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. 
So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Again, thinking about the setting there, the shepherds are out in the field. They probably finished bedding down the flock, getting them ready, getting them at peace, had some supper. Maybe they sat around and swapped some stories, some tales. Then they could have even sung some songs. Maybe the shepherd's spiritual was one of their songs they sang. Then they'd have laid down, gazed up at the stars. Would have been beautiful with no city lights, no lights to interfere, and just looking up at the stars and drift off to sleep. Peaceful, boring. Then suddenly, this angel shows up. This apparition had to shock them. They wondered, what is it? Is it a ghost? Is it a demon? Is it just what is it? And he calms them. Be calm, be calm. I come to tell you good news. And he tells them about the Jesus being born. And just as they probably settled their frazzled nerves and got used to this one, suddenly the sky is full of angels. And they're all singing, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill to all men. It is a great story. And it's interesting just how God does what he does. If, uh, if he was to work with a marketing agent these days and times to announce Jesus coming, I'm, I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have had him come as a baby. He'd have probably gone ahead and had him as a king with robes on and finery and these kind of things. And he probably wouldn't have gone to shepherds to announce his birth. Uh, they were considered uh, the lower caste side of society and they lived a rough life. They were uneducated, of course, out there. But God does do things differently. He wanted Jesus to come as a baby, to go through that process of growing up, to become man. In all of that, he could relate to our life. He went through the things. I'm sure he played as a child. I'm sure when he was learning to walk, he stumbled, tripped, and fell. Mama had to come and pick him up. I'm sure he helped his dad work on the carpentry that his dad did, sweeping up the, the, the cutlings and those kind of things. And maybe even got a splinter in his hand. They had to pull that out. Jesus grew up and this normal kind of life, and it helped him to relate to us. Hebrews talks about that a lot, that we have a high priest who has gone through life as we have, and he can understand the trials that we go through. He knew the joys of life. He knew the fun. He knew the love of parents. He knew the tragedies of life losing a very dear friend that he missed. 
Our Jesus can relate to what we go through in life. And we can take solace in that. We can take confidence in that. So that's, Jesus did that. God did that when he goes and he talks to the shepherds, to the least important of their society, not the most important in the temple. And that can speak to us that God wants us to know Whatever our status in life, he wants us to know about this Jesus. He wants a relationship. It doesn't matter if you've got all the finery. It doesn't matter if you live in a mansion. It doesn't matter if you live in a shack. God wants that relationship with you, and he wants you to know his truth. And that's a wonderful thing to understand. I'm sure the shepherds probably had some manners uh, in their life that uh, weren't right, weren't righteous. But God didn't let that restrict him coming to talk to him, them, to tell them the story. And so it is, as you have uh, sins in your life, if you have failings, that doesn't stop God from wanting to talk to you to bring you this message. And so there is so much we can, we can take from this. After they had seen those angels, after they let their nerves settle and they talked about what had happened, they said, let's go see this child. And so they got up, they went to Bethlehem, and they found Mary and Joseph, and they saw who he was, saw the situation, some may have gone, huh? This isn't very impressive. Just a little baby in a manger. I've seen this all the time. Others, of course, would have felt it through a deep faith, believing what God had said. As they left, they told people their story. And it says people were amazed by it. But I love what it says there about Mary. Sounds like a mom to me. That she treasured what was happening. And she could remember back to that day that Gabriel came and told her, Blessed art thou among women. You have been chosen to be the mother of the Most High God. And she goes, How can that be? I, I've never been with a man. And the Holy Spirit explains how that was going to happen, and Mary received it by faith. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. That's the old-fashioned word for it. It's more than engaged in that culture. Betrothal was as binding as marriage. And so they were already considered marriage, except it hadn't been consummated. But that's what betrothal is, and that's, that's why it talks about Mary being his wife, because it was all but the final consummation and celebration. There was another part in the Jewish ritual they would do to uh, solidify that relationship. So she pondered these things. She pondered how Elizabeth, her cousin, a little older, was barren, wasn't able to have children, and the angel had told them, even your relative Elizabeth is with child. And Mary went and visited Elizabeth and stayed with her for a few months. And now here's shepherds showing up out of nowhere looking for the baby Jesus. Lots to ponder. Lots to wonder about. In our cantata, Mary, did you know, there's a, 
there's a solo that Julie's doing. And the title of that is, Who Would Imagine a King? And it asks the song, you know, how on earth, when Mary's thinking about this child growing within her, thinking about the dreams a mom has of what they want for their child, certainly be healthy, happy, wealth is nice, stature's nice, but she would never imagine that he was going to be the savior, the king, the one who redeemed the world. Who could imagine that? But Mary pondered these things in her heart. Thinking about all these things, as Mary raced over what happened, recounted the trip down of the shepherds telling their story, they came saying, and peace on earth, goodwill to men. And so far, it had been anything but peaceful. It had been tumultuous. She'd left her home. She had to travel. She ends up in this crowded city, a crowded town, and ended up having her baby in a stable or with the animals around. She ends up having these shepherds coming in and telling her about these heavenly hosts appearing to them. Not at all a peaceful event. We often think of peace as just kind of a cessation of activity. Getting up in the morning, having a cup of coffee, no noise going on. Taking a moment to read our word from God, pondering on That's a peaceful time. That wasn't what they went through. This was anything but peaceful. We consider it to be that cessation of activity, and there are those times, but God always works from a different viewpoint. That isn't what he said he that isn't what he meant when he said he was coming to bring peace. Man looks at the outside, God looks at the inside, the Old Testament tells us. God was concerned with the turmoil in a man's soul, in a man's heart. He was concerned with the enmity that was between God and man. He was concerned with the lack of fellowship. He wanted to be reunited with his creation, that, that union that was broken back in the garden when Adam and Eve fell and, and God had to cast them from his presence. That's what God's thinking about. And so Jesus came to restore that peace, to restore that spiritual life. God started with that peace of relationship with him. God started with the most important point, of course. God's good like that. He knows those kind of things. And in that time, in the Old Testament time, of course, Jesus had not come. The righteous did not go to heaven when they passed. There was a concept of Sheol, and Sheol had two sections one was, it all was the place of the dead, but there was one section where the righteous went, and it was referred to as paradise, and sometimes Abraham's bosom. And it's easy for us to understand that picture when I think of my little girl sitting on my lap, laying her head on daddy's chest, enjoying the strength and comfort of dad holding her, patting her on the back, speaking softly to her. 
As children, we all loved resting on our mother's bosom, just the warmth, the comfort, the smell we were used to. It's a place of peace and comfort. And so that's the picture we have of the Old Testament, and even Jesus referred to it in some of his parables, that people were, the righteous were waiting to go to God in Abraham's bosom, in Abraham, and there in paradise. And it is that place of eternal rest before Christ ascended that the people went to. So first, the peace that the angels referred to was that peace with God. Our, our hearts, our souls were at enmity. We could not have fellowship with God. Even the righteous were separated from God because their sin had not been atoned for. For the wages of sin is death, we are told. Death was required for sin. And so it was this little child came to take command over and to resolve that crucial point we're keeping us from fellowship. He took our sins upon Him. He bore them to the cross. He suffered death on our behalf. And Paul writes, even quoting out of the Old Testament, how when Jesus ascended, what does that mean? Except He descended and set the captives free. All of those righteous who believed God and strived to live for Him that were waiting for that day when Jesus died on the cross, He went into the pit and rescued those in Abraham's bosom and carried them away. They received their reward. We have the joy of looking back at the cross. Christ is paid that price for us. He paid the debt forward so that when we believe in Him, when we accept Him as our Savior, we have that eternal life. We don't have to wait. We don't have to languish in Sheol. And when we pass, we go to be with Him. The Bible says to be absent in the body is to be present in the Spirit. And that's what God came to do. He came to take care of that, that peace from the enmity with God. Once we have that, once we have His peace, once we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we then get that peace that surpasses understanding. And when trials come, when life is hard, when we're struggling, when we have loss of loved ones, through it all, through all the turmoil, we can have an inward peace knowing that there's hope, that there's life, that there's a hereafter with God. And so we have that, and that's the third form of peace we get, is that hope of an eternity with God. If we again had been laying out the, the agenda for God to come, he, we would have had Him come if we were a Jew in that day, and defeat the Romans, send them out and let us have our country back, bring back prosperity and business and a, and a good, happy life. That's what they wanted, and that's why some rejected Jesus, because he didn't do that. But God always takes care of the greatest problem 
and addresses the greatest issue, and that is man's separation from him. And so that was the good news the angel shared with the shepherds that night. A savior, not just a king, not just a man, a savior is born this night in Bethlehem. I'm sure the shepherds didn't really understand that. Who knows how much scripture, how much teachings they had heard or knew. But that's what God did. He brought a Savior into this world. That Savior bridged the chasm between God and man. He made it possible for those that had lived before us and all those living present to be in a relationship, to be in His presence, to have fellowship once again. And we have that joy when we're sitting in the morning reading our Bible, thinking about God, that God is with us. And we can feel His presence, and we can feel His presence in this place because He's in the heart of each and every believer right now. We have that peace that helps us through the trials of life that we can rely on. It doesn't make the problems go away. It just makes it bearable to get through them. And as we rest on God and His wisdom, He relieves some of that turmoil. He supplies. He's looking for us to trust Him and grow in faith. And then each and every one of us can look forward to death. Not the way of death, but the result of death. Because when we know Jesus Christ, we have that assurance that we have that hope of entering into glory and seeing our Savior, the little baby, face to face. It's a great thing. It's, a, it's wonderful. And so the question comes to us, the question I put before you is, do you have that peace? Have you settled that that enmity between you and God? Have you realized your need for Him? How Are you ready to surrender all as the hymn goes? That's where the peace will start. Have you yielded your life to Him as Lord? Do you trust Him in your walk each day? Do you look to Him for your decisions to guide you, to lead you? One of the questions that I've been asking various ones, and I do when I can, is a couple of questions. And one is, do you have that peace, that knowledge, knowing that if for some reason your heart should quit right now and you were to die, that you'd go immediately into the presence of the Heavenly Father? The Bible says we can know that. So do you have that assurance? And then the next question is, is when you go and you're standing before Jesus and he says, why should I let you in? What's your answer to him? There is an answer that's accepted. It isn't my family reared me in the church. It isn't I've always been a faithful giver. It isn't that I've tried to be good to other people. It isn't that I, I've tried to live a good life. That's all good. We're all supposed to do it. But the answer is, what have you done with Jesus Christ? And so you can have this peace. 
And if you don't know that peace today, I, I urge you this Christmas season to take time to ponder it in your heart as Mary did all these things. As I grow older, and a lot of you say I'm just a spring chicken, and I understand that, but as I've grown older, thinking about what I want out of life, what I need from life, I do think the greatest thing is to have peace, to know I am at one with my Creator, to know that He is with me day by day, ready to instruct me, lead me, guide me, help me, show me His way, and to have that peace of knowing that I don't need to fear death. Because when that time comes and the last breath is taken, I know I'm going to be ushered into His presence. And because I believed on His Son, Jesus Christ, I know I got the answer to the second question down pat. I hope you know that peace today. Parents, I hope you will take that that step to help your children learn those concepts. They're facing challenges today that we never even dreamed of. And they need the peace of Jesus Christ within them. The knowledge that there is a Creator who made them fearfully and wonderfully. That wants to walk with them, help them, lead them, guide them, and be an ever-present help in danger. So parents, grandparents, I know some of you are raising the children too. I pray that you're following that. When all of this peace occurs in our hearts, when we have peace with God, when the vertical is established, when we're striving and we have peace in our hearts and we're striving to have peace with our fellow man, we can then influence others in having peace. We can help them to know from the message of the gospel. We can help them to know by being a, a friend who is with them truly and deeply and completely. We can sing that song that we're going to sing in just a minute. Let there be peace on earth. We all want that. But let it begin with me. Let me get right with God. Let me live for Him. Let me know the peace of eternity. Then I can spread that peace through the world.